Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well guys, I, I think at this time, you know, we'd normally be like, oh my god, we're going to the Big Ten Championship! Except we've known we're going to the Big Ten Championship for the past couple weeks, so it's kind of... Ah, hard. we're going to the Big Ten Championship! <laughs> it's true, it's true. And now we can actually talk about it. Um, you know, beating Illinois over the weekend, great. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, obviously we do need to talk about our opponent for the Big Ten Championship, which we, uh, found out at, pretty much at, well, I guess we, Found out pretty much in the middle of the second half of that game when uh, Ohio State really just pulled away from Michigan and um, ended up just being a ass whooping. Um, so yeah, we we got Ohio State this Saturday in Lucas Oil Stadium, uh, Big Ten Championship on the line, Rose Bowl on the line for us. Outside chance at the net, at the playoff for Ohio State, um, you know, with them coming in at six in tonight's. Uh, Final regular season rankings. Obviously, we'll see what happens after this weekend. But um, a, a I, game I with think... more stakes has not been played since the 1995 Rose Bowl, I believe. Fair? Yeah, I would say so. Otherwise, um, I mean, it would have to be something late in, in 2000, right? I guess the the victory right game, maybe? Or, or the instant classic against Michigan, I would say. We didn't know at the time that that was going to effectively seal a Big Ten championship because we didn't know how the last couple games were going to square was were going to shake out. That game did effectively seal a Big Ten championship for us, right? Um, or I guess it was well, no, it was still up I'm, in the air because we still had to get we we lost to Iowa the week after and then beat Illinois. So see, I'm thinking even beyond that because like Ohio State's playoff chances scant as they may be are are real oh and... i i can't wait to do our part to help get ucf into the net into the <laughs> well i don't player. i don't know but i don't know about well, that i mean our UCF result will is... be one one of many that will get the golden golden knights in <laughs> i honestly and we can talk about this i don't see any way that that happens well I mean, we'll get it, we'll get there so i don't okay. want to derail our train here um so let's start just start off with uh with the illinois game i mean there, there's not a ton to talk about uh we won 24 to 16 um, we were up 24 to 6 in the third quarter when Fitz decided to shut down Thorson, shut down Bowser, and, uh, just kind of let it ride from there. Um, so pause. Uh, I want, I want to be happy before I get mad. Okay. Um, let's give out some quick booty. Yep. Some pirate booty. Uh, quick, quick off the top of my head. Um, you got to look at Isaiah Bowser, who was unbelievable in this game. Um, 166 yards on 18 carries. Yowza. 166 of, let's say, a possible 350 yards. Oh, my God. <laughs> Reminds me of the year that, that Randy Walker didn't call a single pass in the second half at yeah. Illinois. But sorry, we sorry, annihilated sorry. them. I took you down negative Nancy Path. Yes, Isaiah Bowser, um, awesome game. Yes. Um, Thorson, I thought, looked really good as well. He he was 12 of 18 for 110 yards and two TDs. Extremely pedestrian. We're going to get to a little bit more on that uh, in a second. But um, Pro Football Focus put out their, their Big Ten Offensive Team of the Week and had him as the highest-graded quarterback in the Big Ten. Wait, um, really? He, he must have barely made, like, the minimum threshold for attempts. But, okay. Um, but he was there as the top-graded QB. 
all of this, all of this reinforces something that I'll circle back to in a second. In getting there, let me say one thing. I want to give a huge shout out to the Midwest sports media in general this week for two things. The first is for naming Pat Fitzgerald Big Ten Coach of the Year, an honor that was certainly well-deserved, absolutely deserved. Really, if you get into the weeds in the Big Ten, it shouldn't have been remotely close. Who are you going to put in second? Urban Meyer? Jesus. Mr. Uh, I was suspended for the first yeah. quarter of the season. Sure. So, like, I yeah, ex- exactly. I was just going to say before any uh, irate Buckeye fans start start right. adding us. Um, yeah. Let's, oh no. Let's, go go ahead. Add yeah, us. Yeah. Add us all you want, Buckeye yeah. fans. So so I mean, deservedly so. The the Midwest sports media heaped an honor that is absolutely deserved onto Pat Fitzgerald. The second awesome thing they did was pepper him with questions in the post-game press conference of the Illinois game about the idiocy of the second half of that game. His responses rivaled uh, his actions in their ridiculousness. Um, But I was really... I, I sat down to watch that press conference already annoyed by what I figured was going to be the press just rolling over and not challenging him at all. And instead, he took shots from all angles, uh, and deservedly so. Let's just say, right, this is the classic example of an idea that is sound in concept, executed in a pig-headed manner. And <laughs> it is it is not, I should, I should note, not a problem that is unique to Pat Fitzgerald and not a problem that was even unique to Pat Fitzgerald this weekend because Scuzz's boy, Dabo, uh, lost his flippin' mind directly following their game against South Carolina because they played like garbage. And even though they won by 21, they gave yeah, up, over, that, they gave up a... over 501 passing yards. Um, and... They asked him about it, and he just went totally off the deep end. Like, you're all welcome to leave the program if you have a problem with us beating our rival. Um, and what, whatever. That's that's the I like. That's the best thing that Dabo has ever said. I was <laughs> I I loved what he said. I thought it was oh, spot on. Well, uh, but so, that's the difference. They won by 21. Right. They, we right. we needed a intercept a a gift interception with. Plenty of time still left on the clock, right? So, uh, to seal this thing, right? So, and and it's the classic thing is it's the two things that the press did um, summed up the total package of Pat Fitzgerald, right? He is, if not a brilliant game day coach, indisputably a brilliant runner of a program, right? There is, there can be no doubt about that, and we and we love him, and we want Fitz for life. Oh, like, for life. Like, I mean, in terms of the day-to-day actions of running a program, of recruiting players, of recruiting the right kind of players, of building continuity in a program, of of representing the program with class and thoughtfulness um, week to week, of leading a giant initiative to get amazing facilities built, all of these things. There is just no one in the country. I mean, like, he ought to be in, in the running for national coach of the year, and I'm sure he will be. Um he is also a stubborn Irish SOB, and I say that <laughs> as someone with a giant Irish streak running through my own family, and I know how that is. Um, he digs in on something, and once he digs in on it, he ain't going to change. And 
reason, you know, like that factors into reasons why we didn't win the Akron game. A million things went wrong in that game, but a bunch of them were first half failures to adjust and just the classic us being stubborn at teams we're playing down to. That certainly applied here, but they all, he also, and, and he made it clear it was he, not they. Because the the assistants, he made it sound like the assistants that fit that uh, McCall and Hankwitz were both like, let's can we get these guys back in? Um, he <laughs> he made the decision that he was like, we are taking these guys out in the second half, and they are not coming back in. And then tried to spin it afterwards, like we won, and I don't want to hear anything else about it. When, as Scuzz said, we were very lucky not to go into overtime in this game, um, and and that they were and. As Sam alluded earlier, or as Scuzz alluded, handing out the pirate booty, uh, Clayton and Bowser could have crushed Illinois rolling out of bed in this game. And if they would have come back in, we could have just kicked them in the throat one more time and been done with it. Um, And, you know, you see the logic of it. You get it. But then in the moment as it's happening, it's okay to make a slight adjustment. So I, I actually have a question, and I'm, I'm interested to, to hear your thoughts. I mean, in, in the situation where you know you're, you're pulling your starters, I mean, oh, it was just Thorson and Bowser, but are are you worried about injury? Because that really should be the only thing that you need to be concerned about. Because what you're worried about putting a game tape out there for Ohio State to see? You've got an entire season no. of game film. You know, you're not hiding anything at this point, right? Well, he, no, sort of implied that, he sort of implied that we were in the post-game like we, we were going office. super vanilla. It's like, well, what are you trying to hide? Right. Yeah, I don't. I th- I think that's just chatter. I, this is this was all about injuries, right? It was all about injuries. Um, I you know, th- I think that's probably one of probably a, a throwaway line. I don't I don't think that. Like Fitz is not dumb. His coaches are not as much as we get frustrated with Mick McCall. He's not, you know, he's he's not carrying around a bag of rocks, right? Like there, they know that there that there's a, a a year's worth of tape, and it it ain't the Illinois tape that Ohio State's going to be looking no. at, right? They're watching the Michigan game. They're watching the Notre Dame game. They may be watching the Duke game. They're not watching Illinois. Um, no, I mean maybe some of the read option stuff, or, or seeing how Bush was successful. But again, like they're not looking at that tape. That does not matter. But protecting Thorson and protecting Bowser, um, because as as we all saw on Saturday, our offense is quite lost without those two guys. Um, that's I, I get it. It makes a ton of sense. The the stubbornness with which it was executed john to your point is is exactly what i think you know frustrated me so much and and all of all of um and and because Wildcat it fandom, and because um, it ha- it does it did not happen in a vacuum it is it's, no, I it's mean, what, the same what, stuff we've seen before we've talked for years about how how fitz has a stubborn streak and i i laughed you know having watched that press conference and, and particularly the part where he said like one million, yes. Infinity, yes. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was the return, it was the return of late aughts media antagonist fits, which we haven't seen in a while. He's kind of gotten buddy buddy with them, um, over the last couple of years. And, uh, this really, really brought out his old, uh, <laughs> his old personality. But, uh, I just, I, it made me think of one other just quick anecdote. And that was, you know, you remember after the Iowa game, um, there's the, the foundation, the show that, that, 
I don't even know. It's just like a video highlight package that the cats put together. They get Dave in it to, um, to voice over. It's like the behind, behind the scenes stuff, highlights things, you know. It's yep. And they're sort of and following there was the a, team uh, throughout the season. Yeah, exactly. And there was a, there was a quick clip from practice leading up to the Iowa game. And it's Fitz telling the team, like, we will run the ball this week. Get your mindset in that, in that, in that space or what, like, he, but, We've, we've talked about this before, like this stubborn notion of we will run the ball and we will we will continue to do it until we do it right. The results be damned. Like th- this, this has been a, an element of his of his coaching tenure and will continue to be. And and John, to your point, this is not an issue that is you know <laughs> unique to Fitz, but it, the, the continuing to execute that plan even after Illinois has has moved within two scores, um was just was really mind numbing and I, and I you know at the end you step away and yeah we had no injuries we won the game ends you know maybe maybe should make us you know justify the means but it was um it, we would we would not we would be doing a disservice to not talk about it in it, this forum right in now in the in the interest of a pivot right long term the pattern that we're all aware of is we attempt to when we're playing lesser opponents to execute, and this is to Sam's point, the bare minimum of the playbook and the bare minimum of strategy at all times. And sometimes we skate by with narrow wins and live to fight another day, and gloriously so, because the flip side is you have all this extra stuff that hopefully we've got in the tank for Ohio State. Um, and, and other times you get Akron, and other times you narrowly, narrowly dodge bullets like this one. But whatever, we got the win. Um on to you're, you're you're also not going to run like deep stuff in the playbook with your backups, right? Sure. I right. mean, they haven't no. had the reps, right? Exactly. So hopefully now, yeah, everything's full in the tank. Bullet bullet dodged. If I will add one other thing about the media, um, I, I'm just a little mad that our friend of the pod, Louis Vacare, um, didn't take the opportunity in the midst of of Fitz's fury to ask him what he thought about recruiting sites because I think. <laughs> We could have maybe gotten Fitz's head to explode during the press conference. There was there was no stats there was no stats for losers comment. Like there's a whole lot of opportunity on the table there. Exactly. So let's pivot ahead to uh, to this weekend's matchup against Ohio State. Um, Oh boy! Yeah. Oh boy! So yeah, we we were talking kind of before and you know offline and talking with our friends over at uh, Winning Cures Everything. and, you know, just kind of get, you know, who did, who did we kind of want to see? And we talked about this a little bit last week, you know, Michigan or Ohio State. And I think, you know, if it was Michigan, we'd seen them before. If it was Ohio State, you know, they'd been struggling a little bit. Except this past game, you know, 62 to 39 over Michigan. Um, you know, a game that, that was, wasn't, a game that wasn't really close. No. Entering the fourth quarter. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so I've got a question for you guys on this because, so I was very, and I think as a group, we were we were pretty careful to not put a strong opinion out of of wanting one team or the other, and I think we all agree that both teams presented unique and different challenges for Northwestern, right? Um, but in your heart of hearts, two weeks ago, were, did you have a lean? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, Which way? Ohio State. You, I feel the same way. You know what's funny? I and I regret it now. <laughs> You, sure. It's it's so hard. I think my lean was the other way, not 
and it didn't have anything to do with Ohio State one way or another. I just kind of like the poetry of a second shot at Michigan. Yeah. Um, here's yeah. here's the weird thing to me, right? Personally, for me, this game, relatively speaking, was the worst possible outcome uh, because yes. now you come out feeling like it's an Ohio State team firing all, on all cylinders, like the the giant sleeping bear has awoken at the worst possible time for us. The funny thing is, it's one play away from being the best possible scenario. And that play just needed to happen the week before in the Maryland-Ohio State game. Because we could be in a situation where we're facing a Michigan team that just got the crap kicked out of it by Ohio State, but still wins the Big Ten East. Wow, that's a really good point. All that needed to happen was that was the Maryland quarterback to just get that wide open throw two feet to the left and Ohio state would be sunk regardless of what happened in this game. And we could get a throttled Michigan team instead, but as it is Ohio state, you know, by the skin of their teeth survived long enough to get to the game. And as you said, stronger than anyone's does, uh, it's a you know and a different Ohio State team tends to show up for this game and they did and they smoked Michigan and now yeah we all have the feeling that suddenly this colossus is headed our way in Indy. I mean the the one thing that we do need to recognize I mean Ohio State's offense is insane and our defense has done a really good job this year and they've you know throttled down you know very high octane offenses and you know we we've kept things low and we kept things under control to the, for the most part. Um, but the Ohio State defense, I think, still has weaknesses. Um, yeah. You know, oh, for sure. <laughs> that's gave that's up 51, where our is buttered, yeah. Yeah, they gave up 51 points to Maryland. They gave up 39 to Michigan. Michigan doesn't score a whole lot. I mean, Michigan's offense isn't that high octane. Um, and, you can, and, and you can run on them. Uh, you can run on Ohio State, which is a big departure from years past. Yeah. So, you know, when you look at a possibility for this weekend – what you know if we were to come out and win this game what does that game look like it's got to be a low scoring you know low few possessions right you know we we're able to control the ball running it i i uh, i don't know so yeah. i i, I want to start with what i thought were two just bamboozling things i saw in the in the game against michigan because if it were me Going in, and I'm an amateur, so take that with a grain of salt. But if it were me going into a, a high stakes matchup with Ohio State, I am pouring over the Purdue tape. I'm pouring over what Purdue did to to limit this team. And what Purdue did is they said, "Look, Haskins, we're going to let you throw for 500 yards, but we're going to make you do it in five yard chunks, everything underneath, and we're going to tackle the crap out of your receivers. And when you get in the red zone." We are going to knuckle down and just play balls out. And it worked. Michigan came into this game, lined up mano y mano against Ohio State, almost like in a prideful, like prize fighter kind of way, like like you'd see an NFL team kind of doing and say, look, we, we think we're good enough to just beat you straight up, man to man. We don't need to do anything different or prepare anything or have a backup plan. We just think we're good enough. And then... About 20 plays in, we're like, oh, shit, these guys have way too much speed. What are we going to do? And the game was over. And and the reason I think this is a really important to think about is because 
the way Northwestern plays defense is the Purdue way. And it is exactly how we will approach this game. And it's the thing that, that makes me feel, frankly, a little bit better about our chances of containing this offense because of how we're going to have to approach it versus if we were repeating in the Michigan game and we would go for that, like, oh, yes, low scoring. Let's let's drag this out and try to make it a, you know, a 12 possession game and win on a field goal at the end and hang on for dear life. I, I don't think we can afford to go into this game this way and we're going to play differently and scheme differently really as a, as a result. Yeah, I you're. I, Is that too much Kool-Aid? I was going to – I admire your optimism. Too much Kool-Aid. <laughs> Shit. Um, I think ultimately – and Fitz would get mad if he heard me say this. This game is all about Ohio State. Um, it is not I, – I just – I want to say that it's about certain ways that we'll execute. If the Ohio State team that showed up against Michigan shows up in this game, it's not going to matter what we do. Um, yeah, 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 Michi- yeah. That's 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 very fair. Michigan didn't get a sack in this game, um, and that's with guys rolled up, as you said. Michigan went at them, and Ohio State. And you look at this team that Ohio State could not run on Purdue, but they put up 171 rushing yards against Michigan. Um, so it's. It's kind of tough, and then and then on the flip side, defensively, um, by far, I would say this was by far Ohio State's best defensive effort of the year. It ended up being 39 points, but A, 20 of those were scored in the fourth quarter of that game when they were basically trading touchdowns with Michigan, and Michigan wasn't getting any closer. And two, in the first half, Michigan only got one of their touchdowns because Ohio State fumbled a kickoff. And Michigan started right right down by the goal line. So overall, the Ohio State defense, for them, was pretty dominant. But that's the thing about Ohio State. It's like, you look at the talent, this defense should be incredible. But it wasn't all season. The question now is, they put together one awesome game in front of a raucous home crowd with huge stakes in front of their hated rival after just being garbage week to week. And, you know, the question is like, <clears throat> Shea Patterson, they kept his yards per completion down, and he was throwing a lot of checkdown stuff. He threw three touchdowns on the day, though. Karan Higdon, I mean, 72 yards a carry, 4.8. I kind of look at the way Michigan runs the ball, and I think there's a lot of similarities to the way we run the ball. Um, I think you could certainly envision a situation where Bowser gets to 100, but I don't think, I, you know, if he gets to 150, that should be considered glorious. Um, I think, you know, and then you look at the line that Patterson had. I mean, 20 of 34 for 187, 5.5 yards a carry, you know, three touchdowns and an interception. That just looks like a classic Clayton Thorson playing an awesome defense line. Um, so... It's, but on the so on the other hand, it's like Ohio State's defense could easily just go back into hibernation. I absolutely agree with Scuzz that we will be trying to keep everything in front of us defensively and letting them march down the field and trying to make hits. I also believe, um, and this I really believe, regardless of what happened to Michigan on the ground in this game, and I don't really get it. Um, Ohio State has had massive problems running the ball all season up to this point. Um, and yeah, J.K. Dobbins is a scary dude, but um, I could see 
Ohio State coming into this with a game plan of we're just going to throw like bananas and Haskins is going to get 500 and we think that he can get it and I wouldn't blame them for thinking that. I think there's a really good chance he's going to get there. Um, but to me, it's like if if we win, the formula is something along the lines of Ohio State's defense just takes another week off, not out of the realm of possibility, certainly by any stretch of the imagination, and we can get into the 30s in points, and then their offense turns it over three times. We're keeping everything in front of us. Haskins is thrown for boatloads of yards. We get a couple fumbles, maybe a couple picks, and, and that's the formula. It's Ohio State doesn't perform. They go back to being the Ohio State that really doesn't have any business playing in this game, despite their oodles of talent. Um, and we take advantage of the right situations. The only thing I quibble with is, so I, I, I agree with the premise that we're, we're not going to beat the Ohio State team that, that everybody saw playing last weekend, and that's fine. Um, when we played Michigan, they were coming off of, I think, a 54-0 to drubbing of Nebraska. They basically played a perfect game. Um, they were not perfect against us. And Ohio State has similar discipline issues. Uh, they're not, you know, they're they're not as poorly disciplined as a Michigan team, but they get they rack up a lot of penalties. Good point. They are one of the one of the most penalized teams in the in the Big Ten. Yep, and um, we are the least. So their quarterback is not the type of dual threat mobile guy that hurts us. Now Haskins can move. He can he can run. Um, he he's he's kind not, of strikes you know, me like an Ian Book, like you know. No, it, no, I don't. It, I think Ian books a lot better with his legs okay. than than Haskins. Um, I Nate Stanley maybe. Um, I mean, he's not a statue like Hornybrook, but he's certainly not. I mean, he's not Shea Patterson. You know, we'll put it that way. But I there's, and, and again, I'm going to go back to the, this Michigan game that it, 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 the defensive game plan was was completely confusing to me. Michigan's offensive game plan was confusing to me as well because they they very quickly found themselves in a shootout and they had no they had no levers to pull they had no no second gear to go to uh, as an offense and that's that's what a lot of the chatter is this week uh, nationally is you know can the Jim Harbaugh approach to to offensive football strategy like work can can it ever beat Ohio State and that's probably an overreaction. Um, to this game and and you know uh, a bit talking heady etc but it's a valid consideration because his approach to offense is very similar to to Pat Fitzgerald's approach to offense and when I think about how we need to perform in this game offensively to win I th- I think the blueprint looks a lot more like the Michigan State game than it looks uh, like the like the like the Notre Dame game where we where we really leaned on Bowser and running the ball and playing ball control etc I think we need Thorson to open it up and throw this past defense is not good they do not have Nick Bosa they've struggled to get to the quarterback all year even in this game even in this game um, Thorson was 31 of 47 for 373 yards against Michigan State and yes he got you know a couple of, of uh one long 77-yard pass to Kyrick McGowan, but still, 30 of 46 for 300 yards, that's excellent. That's the type of performance that we're going to need to beat Ohio State, as well as, like, if they come with their A-plus game, like, they just, they have so much more talent than us. Um, we need them to be closer to the to the Ohio State that we saw throughout the year that was a little, little less consistent, 
the, the other interesting thing about them, I talked about Haskins. He's not that mobile. They do have a mobile guy in Tate Martell that they like to bring in, in, in especially in goal line packages and stuff. He never throws. The announcers uh, the, during the, the, the King Culture Trevor Simeon combo. So the the announcers during during the Michigan State game were losing their mind. Um, who's the color guy on Fox? Joel Klatt. Uh, yeah, Clat. Clat was going crazy. He was like, they have to throw it with Martell right now. They have to throw it. There's no threat otherwise. And every time Martell ran the ball, Michigan tackled him for like a two-yard loss. Um, and and Clat uh, was just losing his mind. But it comes down to this kind of predictive approach. Like, Urban Meyer's offense is not predictable, but that is a piece that could really hurt Northwestern. And it's not the piece it's, it's not set up in a way that's going to damage us. So I, I mean, I think our biggest issues and risks in this matchup are the speed on the outside uh, and, and dealing with their, their, their receivers. They've been much better uh, going downfield uh, in general this season. I think I, I talked about that earlier in the year that they had so many players above um, 20, 20 yards per catch on average. That's kind of gone away as they've not played that great over the last, uh, however many weeks. Um, I think also other teams, Again, Michigan, what are you doing? Other teams took the same approach as Purdue, um, and we're, and we're going to see us do that as well. But I, I, I do think a lot of our, our chances come down to Thorson dictating the offensive pace um, with his arm in this game and uh, using the using the running game. You know, certainly dispel that and 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 keep them honest. And like I said, you know, we you, you can run on this Ohio State team. Their their run D is not as good as say a Michigan State or a Michigan, but we're going to need to throw for a lot of yards uh, because this 21 17 ain't, ain't going to happen here. So one good thing that we have and all indications are we're going to be getting the return of uh, Montre Hardage, Trey Williams, uh, potentially even Greg Newsom. Although honestly, I, I just assume not see Greg Newsom just so he, you know, keep his red shirt. But uh, I don't know, you know, do you, do you worry about the red shirt or is if Newsom playing gives us the best chance to, cover the Ohio State backfield, you burn the shirt and, and just roll with it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I'd rather him stay out. I, I mean, that sounds counterintuitive because we are, we should be thinking anything to get us the win. Um, I guess that's a decision that could be made on the fly. We're not really a make make decisions on the fly organization. I would imagine what? Fitz, yeah, I would imagine whichever way it is, Fitz has already made that call. Um, uh, it probably depends a lot on, like, has he been practicing? Does he have the reps? Because if if he's been truly injured this whole time, there's no way we're seeing him. Right. But if he's been in this, like, you know, we don't have him on the two deep because we think he's going to redshirt, but he's healthy. He's practicing. He's getting reps, etc. Maybe I don't know. I did. I. It would seem like a surprise move. Um, we've gotten guys like Roger Campbell, Alonzo Mayo, um, Trey Williams, obviously. Uh, Cameron Ruiz, like these guys, gotten a lot of run. They're not, they're not the greatest. Um, there's, there's, you know, they're still raw in some ways. You saw Ruiz uh, kind of struggling to stay on his feet a lot against Illinois. Um, they certainly knuckled down later in the game. I don't, th- I don't think we expected the Illini to come out throwing the ball so much either. But I, it, it seems like a risk to put a guy out there who hasn't played in two months. Yeah, I. Th- well, here's another thing too. Um, Whoever the number two cornerback is can't match up with Ohio State's receivers. <laughs> like, like I, you know, let's call a spade a spade. Like, Ohio State, not unlike Notre Dame, has many weapons out there. 
And you're just not – so, like, one of the things that worries me, I guess, a little bit is we know that Hankowitz is going to is gonna play it the right way. I think what you'd hope from our defense is you can expect that Ohio State, if we're rolling off, is going to get guys – running slants they're going to catch it and those guys are going to be moving dangerously with speed and then you have to make the tackles so you make them earn the yards a very ohio state thing to do in a situation where we win this game and based on everything this season would be for ohio state's receivers to just start fumbling the ball right like we're giving up little chunks of yards we're throwing quick slants we're making the tackles so they don't turn those quick slants into huge plays and they cough it up a couple of times right I feel like that's exactly what Hankowitz is going to try to get them to do, right? Like, Trey Williams, if he's back, is going to be giving such a cushion to whoever he's guarding to just be like, here's the under, here's eight yards, take it. I'm going to give you eight yards, five plays in a row, and either you're going to score or you're going to fumble the ball. Even in that situation, I worry that Meyer being Meyer is still going to be like, I don't care about your stupid cushion. We're going over the top right now. Here it here it comes. Um, and, th- I mean, Ohio State's that dangerous throwing the ball. I mean, they, they could have success doing that. And chances are, a lot of the game, right, we're going to have a third defensive back out there. So whether it's Cam Ruiz or maybe Cam Ruiz is even the, you know, has even elevated to the one. And it's, you know, but there are going to be times... I- I will warrant a guess that our third back will be uh, Willick. Yeah, yeah, that's true too, right? So he I mean, could... Willick's been playing a lot and been playing exactly, really, really and well. and I mean, just his value against the run. The guy hits like a freight train. I'm very excited about the the Travis Willick era at safety. Um, well, and with Pace and McGee, so Willick played a fair amount against Illinois, even right. with both Pace and McGee playing. And I'm sure there was some spelling going on so that McGee wasn't, you know, taking uh, taking too much on, but. Um, and that's right. And that's a sweet. He, he, he's a tackling monster. He's got a ton of speed. Great against. I mean, he's 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 kind of perfect in that camera in, in that uh, Kyle Cairo role, right? Right. And that's the thing. Like, if if that's the lineup, right? And that's the lineup that's playing a lot of the game because you figure Ohio State's going to play a lot of spread, right? I'm pretty comfortable with that against the run. If Ohio State is just doing some straightforward running out of shotgun formations, if it gets super read optiony with J.K. Dobbins, a human blur then it gets a little bit, you know, then I start to get a little scared still thinking back to that Nebraska game and our, which we've talked ad nauseum about our history against the read option. But, um, but they don't, but they don't really run it. No, Hask- Haskins isn't going to keep it. Right. But so, I guess they'd, they'd RPO us for right, sure. Sure. But if like, but again, like if Willick's out there, if that's the unit and it's a healthy unit and you know, you've got a Williams or even a Cam Ruiz, let's say Cam, let's say it's Montre and Cam, you know, Cam's been looking pretty good. Um, then, <clears throat> that's a pretty strong unit against the run, but that unit is definitely vulnerable to getting torched over the top. And I think that you're going to see a unit that just tries to play super soft against the pass. And then the question is, what does Meyer do? Does he give it that? And then you're hoping, you know, you get the classic Hankowitz, Gaztown slips out into the flat for a pick kind of deal. Um, or are they still, or, you know, the negative situation would be one, quick slants turn into 50-yard gains because Ohio State is just stacked with talent, or they force their way over the top because they're stacked with talent. Um, I think, but but again, as a Northwestern fan, if it starts out the game and Ohio State is just steadily marching down the field eight, nine yards at a clip, don't get mad. That's a good scenario. 
Um, that's a scenario in which Ohio State, a team that has been screw up city this season, screws up, and then we get some sort of benefit. But you, what you don't want are those fifty yard gash plays because we're not staying in the game in that situation. Well, M- Michigan State is another game where where Ohio State, you know, they kind of gave them, you know, room to move, and then and then stopped them once they kind of got onto their side of the fifty. Um, but then Ohio State just pinned them deep over and over and over again. They're their punter, I think, dropped like what six or seven inside of the five yard line. It was ridiculous. And, and Michigan State's offense has been a joke all year. It's horrible. They scored six points against Nebraska. Um, and this is where I do think like the Clayton Thorson thing becomes really important. That's, I mean, that's where where the fabric of one side of the ball, you know, starts to really intersect with the other side of the ball. Is like if if Ohio State is continually burying us inside of the ten we're going to be forced to be conservative on offense and we're not going to be able to get much going. And so, you know, giving up three points, stopping them um, around midfield, like we got to get the ball back with some decent field position. We've seen that that's such a huge marker for when our offense is able to, to move and score this season. And I, you know, and again, I think we're going to do it through the air with Thorson because we're going to be having to go, 75 80 yards most drives we're not we're not going to be getting you know many opportunities from from 50 or 60 and to your point too i think you know michigan really tried and i think part of it was hubris and i'm sure you know harbaugh's in hindsight is killing himself but like i think they like you said they just tried to go toe-to-toe and be like our team's just gonna beat your team because we're just flat better and it's like well not an ohio state team that has their act together because they probably are better than you um but this is a team, Ohio State, where teams were just throwing circles around them, right, at, at points this season because they're, like, not organized and we're a team that tends to scheme guys open. So it's a situation where, you know, you could see scenarios where um, we get Bennett Skoranek downfield where a corner is chasing him and you get that classic Bennett Skoranek 20-yard play or draws a pass interference. Like, I could see a situation where we're able to unlock a couple of those plays where it's not just that we're throwing deep, we're throwing deep to a corner who's made a bad read or a safety who's made a bad read and is recovering. And they're fantastic athletes. They're going to recover in time, but it's still a guy who's kind of running around like a chicken with his head cut off and you can make plays like that. Or it's those bunch formations we like to do that gets a Flynn Nagel open um, or something like that. Or, or, you know, you get a quick release with JJ Jefferson, like your they you can't straight up beat a team like this with go routes or things like that but with the right schemes and the right plays and this is that classic like you said are we going to get the Mick McCall that had that game plan from you know a couple of years ago when we went toe to toe with them or really yeah, yeah we we We've seen Mick McCall game plan one game really amazing, and it right. was against Ohio State right. in 2013. Right, and and there was that game, and really there was the game. What was it? The year after, or two years after? No, like, like, no, I think it was two years ago. The one yeah. at the shoe where we were yeah. right there. Right, Mick's got some feathers in his cap against Ohio State. So um, I would say we're going. He to know, be... He knows he has to approach it differently. Right. You know, this goes back to what I said uh, earlier on in the pod, like. This is one of those games where the the conservative, um, stubborn streak like they they know it won't work and they have to think differently and creatively and, and Northwestern benefits as a result. Maybe that's why. Maybe they just spent. They, they it was a conscious decision to just flush all of that out of their system in the Illinois game and just be like, <laughs> all right, 
One of the most- as as we've been saying all season long and even all, forever, we play to the level of our opponent. Yeah, Teddy Greenstein tweeted out I think that tweet earlier this week, right? Where we're what are we um, against uh, as a favorite? What are we like zero and four? Oh, oh and four, four, <laughs> four against the spread and like five oh and one or something uh, as an underdog. So yep. yeah, it backs it up, and I, I think that's to the point. I think you will get the very best of what this coaching staff has to offer. Um, and with all that said, I still believe it comes down to our hopes should most be pinned on the maddening inconsistency of one of the most talented teams in the country, Ohio State. Um, but I do believe if Ohio State doesn't show up for this game, we will beat them because I believe our team is really going to show up in this one. Um, I don't I don't believe we're going to lose it because we fail to execute. It'll come down to whether or not Ohio State plays good football. It's hard for, it's hard for me to really think that they're not going to come out strong just because of where they are in the situation of the playoff. I mean, they are going to need to beat us handily and get help in in order to to get into the playoff. So that's the key is help because our game is the last game of the day to kick off. We kick off alongside of Clemson Pittsburgh, but that's not going to matter. That one won't matter. No, um, but already decided will be Texas Oklahoma, which will inform I mean, if Oklahoma beats Texas, there there ain't nothing that Ohio State can do. Here's here's another little important wrinkle factoring into that, right? Ohio State fans have very different goals than Northwestern fans do. If Ohio State beats us in a god-awful game by one point, yep. Ohio State fans will not be celebrating. Because all they'll they'll just immediately pivot mentally to oh god what if Oklahoma beats the crap out of Texas we're not going to the playoff well no John it'll, they all they, that game will already be done they'll right. already know right that, that, so that here's, game's at eleven right so here's the thing right here's another X factor scenario let's say Oklahoma does put it on Texas and then let's say the first half of our game does not go the way Ohio State wants it to go, right? Suddenly, Ohio State's not in the locker room thinking, we've got to get it together to win a Big Ten championship. They're in the locker thinking, they're in the locker room thinking, oh my God, we are, this is what it feels like to lose a spot in the college football playoff. And, and that's a mentality, right, and that's a mentality that we could take advantage of for sure. And, and I, so... I think that there's something to be said for the the opposite that could happen as well, which is Texas knocks off Oklahoma again, and Ohio State comes into this game thinking they've got that spot locked up. Right, and then suddenly and, it right, and that overconfidence comes in. Right. Yeah, because I mean the reality is, unless you know, the only other weird scenario thing that could happen is Georgia upsetting Alabama. That game kicks off at four, so it should be pretty much done by the time our game starts. Um, but maybe, but timing might be such that like players wouldn't actually know. If Georgia beats Alabama, Ohio State and Oklahoma can both kiss the playoff goodbye because there's going to be two SEC teams yep, in there. Alabama is not dropping out of the playoff. There's, yeah, right. There's zero chance of Alabama <laughs> dropping out. Um, no matter, I mean, Ohio State could beat Northwestern 100 to zero, and it would not change things. So the. The, the way things are set up now, if Oklahoma wins a, a tight game against Texas and, and looks like kind of shoddy doing it, 
that's the worst case scenario because then Ohio State comes in thinking like they did a couple years ago. Remember they they beat Wisconsin. This was the year they won the national championship. They were going to the Big Ten championship against Wisconsin. Uh, they had lost JT Barrett the week before to injury against Michigan, and Cardale, I, I ain't here to play school Jones, was their QB, and everybody was like, oh, no chance. And then they won 59-zip, and that's what springboarded them into the playoff, controversially, I might add. This is That Wisconsin team was really, really well-regarded. Um, while we think a lot of Northwestern, there are a lot of people that don't because of the non-conference record. And how, result, how, how crazy is it that, like, the one 130-yard one pass falls, like, a yard short, and we lose to Akron, and now all of a sudden we're a garbage team? Yeah, I think, and, and again, any Northwestern fan knows that, again, that it's, it's all perfectly understandable that the same team that lost that game could play incredibly well yep. against yep. Ohio State. <laughs> um, the... You know, as long as we're talking about the playoff, I think it's really interesting relative to us to juxtapose that Ohio State with the playoff team we've already played, Notre Dame, right? Would anyone argue that top to bottom Notre Dame has the talent that Ohio State does? No. But Notre Dame has played awesome this season. You can't argue with that. Like... They, I would I would argue Notre Dame's pretty darn close. Oh well, I mean, when, when you when you look at offense and defense, well, I would argue they're right there with Ohio. I mean, State. They're well, they're more complete than Ohio State. Well, is. here's but well here's the thing though, right? Ohio State should be just as complete as Notre Dame, but they're not, right? Um, Notre Dame is getting max F, is just getting the max out of their guys. Um, there's not a huge talent disparity. Notre Dame's loaded with talent, obviously, but Ohio State, and we talked about it in the summer. There is just a ridiculous amount of talent on this team, right? Um, they're they're up there with with Alabama and Clemson. Exactly. So it's like, but an interesting juxtaposition, right? Is Notre Dame just has played credit to Brian Kelly, credit to Ian Book, credit to those players. They've played really well. They've played well in blowouts. They've played really well in close games. Our game being a shining example, right? On a play. Um, that Notre Dame had to have up four in danger of giving the ball back to us. They called the perfect play, right? The bookkeeper, he ran it to perfection. They got the touchdown. Notre Dame was a cool customer late in that game. And it is that kind of play that is indicative of why they're going to the playoff. It is a excellent football team. Not an Alabama-type team, not a Clemson-type team, but it is an excellent team in terms of talent and execution. If you get Ohio State in a situation like that late in this ga- in this game, they're going to screw it up. I guarantee you. Um, this is not that team. They are a loaded team that is boom and bust all the way. Ohio State should have lost to Maryland. And the fact that they didn't isn't a result of some amazing effort. I mean, Haskins had a great game in that game. They just won by luck. Maryland had a couple plays that Maryland just screwed up then Maryland should have executed, and they would have beaten Ohio State. Um, Ohio State has been this crazy train wreck for so many parts of this season. If you put them in a situation late in our game where it's close and they feel the college football playoff slipping away and Urban's doubled over on the sidelines, like that team wants to lose a game. It's just getting them to that position. 
because the flip side is is the Wisconsin game, and this team is totally capable of putting that together. You just got to stay in it long enough for them to start questioning. Should we talk about uh, the rest of the championship week real quick? Well, well, I think real quick before we do pivot off, um, we need to mention John and I will be at this game. Yes, uh, we're going to be sitting in section section two hundred eight. If anybody's going to be in that vicinity, wants to give us a shout out, um, I'll we'll be, be wearing, hanging out. I'll be wearing the it, Bowser t shirt, so you can, <laughs> I'll be easy to spot. Um, oh yeah, we got we got well we got we got to give a shout out to our to our buddies we podcasted with last week. But um, yeah, so John and I'll be there. We'll be we'll be in Indy ahead of time. We're going to the Northwestern uh, Alumni Tale. Well, I. John, are you going to the Northwestern Alumni Tailgate? I may or may not. We have uh, a a three-and-a-half-year-old girl who will be making the trip down with us, and and we sort of have to coordinate uh, getting out the door uh, without her losing her mind with Carly's cousin. So we're going to see how that goes. It's still a touch-and-go. If I can make it, it, we will be there. (laughs) Bottom line, if y'all are in in Indy and you want to say hi or you want to just, you know – talk through some of this stuff or have a beer or whatever, shoot, just holler at us, uh, shoot us a tweet, um, et cetera. And we're, uh, we're going to be, we're going to be there. We're going to be hanging out. It's, it's Frank, you know, e- even if this game doesn't go the way we want it to go, like, I, I don't care. This is a celebration of what we've done this season, um, of, of having this opportunity to be in this game and not, not just to show up, but, to actually have a chance to win the Big Ten Championship, and we have that chance. And so. seriously, come find us. We know a lot of you are going to be at this game. We're going to be in 208. We're going to be easy to find. Scuzz is going to be at the alumni tailgate. I might be there too. No one wants to talk to you more about the game you are at than us. So come and, so come and find us. We would love to chat with you guys. And our pretty much our entire strategy is to just avoid Ohio State people. Oh, so God, yes. <laughs> come join the Purple Party. And for the three of you who aren't going to make it to the game, um, I'll be on Twitter. Uh, so hit us up at Westlaw Pirates. And we'll uh, have the conversation as we're watching. So, yeah, I, I, it's killing me that I can't be there. But uh, I, I would definitely be cheering as loud as I possibly can from uh, from up here in Chicago. Uh, before we do uh, pivot completely away, we do need to give a quick shout out to Mike, Matt, and Joe from the The Game Inside and Out podcast. Uh, they popped over to our tailgate last week. Uh, we had a nice little joint pod with them. Go check that out. Uh, the Game Inside and Out. They do a really great job kind of talking about some of the ins and outs of, of the program that you know maybe we don't have. Um, Mike as a former player. And, and Matt, from his role as a player agent, you know they, they can give some perspective that we can't necessarily. So uh, they, they do a wonderful job. Once again, it's the game inside and out. We're definitely going to have them on uh, later on, probably in this off season. Um, it's it's so. too. Also, if you want to hear us in a totally different environment, obviously, like we're always <laughs> recording this in a pretty sterile environment. All credit to Joe. Um, he set up remote right then, and we've you know you'll hear the you'll hear the. Uh, the full sounds of the central golf lot in the background, including the L going by a couple times. So it was pretty wild. I, I unfortunately was not able to participate as I was I was not at the game, but I did listen to the podcast and it's 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 pretty fun. But I I do wanna echo one of the really cool stories that um that kind of came out as you guys were all chatting, and that is that um so A, Mike is a former player. We watched his career at Northwestern, Mike Bolden, who was who played cornerback for NU. Um Matt, who uh who also co-hosts the show, um, sat behind us 
in the stands for years. Um, I totally remember uh, his dad and 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 the, the group that was, that was always right right there with the uh, right the row behind us, literally. And he said that um, as you know, we were we were all communicating with each other via Twitter, etc. And he had looked at our website and he was saying to to Joe like, "Man, I'm." I'm sure I know these guys from somewhere. And then it clicked and figured out that, that since he was what, 12 years old, he's been sitting behind us at football games. Um, so I just thought that was a really, really cool, uh, nugget and tidbit and, uh, just a little bit of connectivity between these two, these two podcasts. But yeah, they, they do a really cool job. They, they had a podcast the week before interviewing y'all that, um, Mike basically quizzes Matt about, life as, a, as an agent and what they're, what's going on this time of year with, with starting to think about draft and prospects and signing guys and all this sort of stuff. And it's, it's fascinating. Those guys have a really, really insider view and it's pretty cool. Uh, what, one other aspect of, of that story that, uh, that Mike told or that Matt told, uh, made me feel a little old. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna not going to lie. Yep. Ah, whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's quickly breeze through uh, the rest of championship week. Um, starting off on Friday, you got Utah and Washington. Uh, Washington winning the snow globe of an Apple Cup against Washington State. Um, Utah just so up and down. This is bizarre. You know, you're looking at the Pac-12. You got two, three lost teams playing for the Pac-12 championship. This is it's it's interesting to me because this is the beginning of a theme that is going to play out several times as you go through this um, and, and that we are a part of, of teams who have been completely under the radar all season, suddenly stealing a conference championship. And Utah is the first one of, of those teams. This is a team that I don't think hardly anyone knows anything about. They're 17th in the nation um, and they could totally win this game. Washington is not this juggernaut, this insurmountable mountain to climb. Um, and Utah suddenly could have a Pac-12 championship in the, and a date in the Rose Bowl. Like, it's just, it's wild. Doesn't help that they lost their starting QB and running back a couple weeks ago. Right. And, obviously, I mean, Blizzard not accepted. Washington played pretty damn good football yeah. against Washington State. You're very true. Um, Saturday, 11 a.m. Central, Texas-Oklahoma at the Big 12 championship game. Uh, rematch of the Red River shootout. Um, not at the Cotton Bowl this time. This time we're at Jerry World. God, man, we talked earlier about the, like, there's a lot of like psychological stakes on this, but stepping stepping away from that, Kyler Murray is an incredible quarterback to watch play, and this Oklahoma offense, like the brainchild of of Lincoln Riley, I can only imagine what goes on in his, in his head as he's deconstructing a game and and thinking about um, you know how to how to score more points. Um, there's there's something to watch if if. It's like Sammy. I know you're going to be watching it. Like if, like if, if you're if you're at home on Saturday, you know, in, in the hours before our game, like this one is going to be a lot of fun, and it has some real interesting uh, stakes for for how everything plays out later in the day. Well, the Oklahoma <laughs> offense is definitely something to watch. Their defense, however, leaves a little something to be desired. The, there, I have two things about this one. Right, Oklahoma's defense is a giant sieve, absolutely, um, <laughs> and. And and on the flip that, side, that's giving a little too much credit to a sieve. Well, here's here's the thing though. As long as we're taking shots, okay. I watched the whole second half of the Texas Maryland game, and I just 
I can't, and, and I get it, like, this is the pot calling kettle, because every, everyone brings up Akron so often, you know, outside of the Northwestern family, right? Um, but Texas didn't just suck in that game. They sucked so bad against a mediocre Maryland team. Which almost was, knocked off Ohio State. True, fair enough. But I was just like, and it, it, that game, though, wasn't Maryland looking good. It was Texas looking awful. And I came out of that game being like, this team is going to be lucky to go 500. And since then, they've beaten Oklahoma. They're 9-3. and three. They're in the Big 12 championship game. Everyone's having all these Texas is back conversations. I think Oklahoma is going to get their sweet revenge in this one. Um, but I know like they only do shootouts, and Texas is going to put up points in this game. But I just feel like Oklahoma is going to get their revenge. The second thing is, to everything that Scuzz just said, this will be one of your last two times to watch Kyler Murray play quarterback. So he's unbelievable. You must watch him play. He ain't going to the NFL. And I don't mean ain't like couldn't play in the NFL. I mean like he's been paid $7 million to not get concussions. He's going to play. <laughs> he's a pro baseball player. And you'll be watching him play pro baseball. Uh, this is not Russell Wilson. Kyler Murray was a first-round draft pick and got $7 million of signing bonus money. He's going to play in Major League Baseball and where it's safe and he can play 15 to 20 years and be a utility man and, you know, an outfielder with ungodly speed. And we'll all be like, hey, remember when he was an awesome college football player? Um, and, by the way, 150, to quote Fitz, a million percent should he do this. Uh, this is absolutely the right thing for him to do. But with all that said... He's an unreal football player with an unparalleled skill set, and this is one of the last two times you're going to get to see him use it, so watch. Yeah, baseball money's guaranteed. Football money, not so much. Yep. Uh, you you got the American Championship game, Memphis and UCF. Um, God, you can't even oh. think about UCF without you know just thinking about Mackenzie Melton and just it's... the... That awful. knee injury is just awful. It is just awful. devastating in a million different ways. Today they had a story that came out that, um, unbeknownst to anybody, like before they could even operate on his knee, they had to do like significant nerve surgery because he wasn't getting blood flow. And I mean, when you start talking about stuff like that, you know, you start talking about a road where like, you know, the end of that road is like, you don't have a leg, you know? So it's like right off the bat, you're like, oh my God, like, I'm just glad that that's done. So it sounds like his leg is okay now, and now they can operate. I mean, so you have that just devastating for the kid because you start hearing that, and you're like, God, is that going to hurt his ability to make a recovery because he is just such a great football player? Um, and here's hoping he will be. But that, And then you have the, the, the flip side, which is certainly less significant, but from a football perspective is huge of, right, what does this mean for UCF? And, and the part that, frankly, really annoys me is the, well, how should we evaluate a UCF team that doesn't have Mackenzie Milton? And I'm like, you should evaluate them as a team that hasn't lost in two years. That's how you should evaluate them. Um, and I'm really hoping that they get that even with Milton out, they get the beat down on Memphis that they deserve so that they're putting the best possible position um, forward uh, to potentially play for um, to get into the playoff. And yeah, I know there's like a million things that have to happen, but I just hope that 
UCF is in a position where somehow they can put a beat down on Memphis and still be in a in a place where they could potentially get a meaningful bowl game that would allow them to hold another one of those uh, disputed parades in Orlando. Man, between Milton, Tua, Marcus Mariota, we and I know there's a handful of others. Like before. none of the whom, Hawaii none of quarterback is, conundrum is unreal. None of whom is the all-time leading passer in NCAA history. That would be Timmy Chang, Timmy Chang also yeah. from Hawaii. It's ridiculous. I know. Uh, three o'clock central. You've got the national championship uh, redux. Alabama, Georgia at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So, you know, it all has come back together um, for the SEC championship. Um, I mean, I I still – Alabama is just – they're that good. They are that good. And I love – like, what do you think – would – from a betting perspective, Alabama's 13-point favorites. Alabama has not – won a game by less than what 25 points this year um there there's some crazy stat i heard on uh from Stu mandel's podcast today that they're the first team since yale in the late 1800s that has won every game by 20 or more points how big would the line have to be for you to for you to reasonably bet against them here I don't know. That's the thing I'm wondering. I mean, obviously, Georgia's 11-1. and one. In that one game, they got spanked um, by an LSU team that now is not ranked that heavy. And, I mean, they got throttled in that game. LSU smoked Georgia. So, I – boy, I – this what's – ha- What's hard is that Alabama hasn't – they haven't played that tough of a schedule. Yeah. You don't, you don't feel like you've seen them with their back against the wall. And it, it's kind of like your point, John, about Ohio State and – in a tight game, I'm fully confident that Alabama would prevail. But like, like if they came out, if if at the half this game was tight, if Georgia was, you know, or, or Georgia was maybe up a little bit, would Alabama? How much of a mental roadblock would that be for Alabama to come out and just put the sting on them like they did to to Auburn last week? I mean, they they went into the half tied with Citadel, ten ten. <laughs> right, yeah, then, which I still part of me still believes that like that was part of Nick Saban's like secret plan, master plan, just, yeah. just to get super mad. I have to say that I expect Alabama to win by at least twenty five to thirty points in this game, just because. I, right, everything Scud says is true, but it's also possible that this is the greatest college football team ever, and th- that will start being true if they put a hurting on Georgia in this game. They have everything that Alabama has had during the Nick Saban era, plus perhaps the best quarterback of the last five years. Right. They have everything you would want they have. And Georgia's, a, Georgia's an unbelievably good football team, and Alabama's just on a level above. But, you know, I would just – I always root for some sort of BCS chaos and BCS playoff chaos. And – Scott said it earlier. You're going to get it if Georgia beats Alabama. Bye bye Ohio State. Uh, it's bye bye Oklahoma. Because yeah, bye bye Ohio State. Bye bye Oklahoma. Because then what will happen? Bama will drop to four, right? So you'll have Clemson right. one, Notre Dame two, Georgia three, Bama four. So you'll get Clemson, Bama, and then Notre Dame, Georgia. And in that situation where that happens, oh my God, Notre Dame would be so happy, right? <laughs> yeah, if, they it, would. In oh that situation. In that situation, when that happens, 
the overwhelming favorite to win the national championship will be Alabama. Alabama. Regardless of what happens in this game. Um, Which is, they're so good that regardless of what happens in the Georgia game, they'll remain the favorite to win the national title. So I guess when you look at it that way, I I would say I think they're going to win by like 21. Uh, You got the Mountain West Championship, Fresno State and Boise State at Boise. Um, Now, Now Boise potentially, were they to win this game, is the potential... Aren't they're the potential winner in a UCF Armageddon scenario, right? Not Armageddon, good for UCF. UCF loses to Memphis. Wouldn't it be Boise who would get in, or am I missing? I, no, I, I think it'd be either Boise or <laughs> the, the winner of this game, Boise or Fresno. God, so that makes it another huge one for Fresno State. There's this, like who has said anything about Fresno State this year, and they could be in like the Fiesta Bowl. That's crazy. It's the, Je- it's the Jeff Tedford Revenge Tour. Yeah, that's crazy. You're right. That is so wild. Um, less I forget, uh, Northern Illinois at Buffalo in the MAC championship on Friday night. Awesome. Yeah, Buff- Buffalo's QB is so much fun to watch. If, if like... Ty- Tyree Jackson. Yeah. Here's, here's the thing about that. Um, Buffalo may win and they're going to have a gaudy record at the end of the season and be MAC champions. Army smoked them. Uh, and if you're looking for a reason, Army, whose, whose schedule, I don't even know what you would call it. It is a joke. It is it is a team that is definitely good enough to be like a winning team in college football with a with a legit schedule. Has three FCS teams on their schedule. But they did almost beat Oklahoma and they did throttle this awesome Buffalo team. So uh, I'm glad we didn't play Army this year. Uh, Sunbelt Championship, uh, Louisiana. I guess they don't want to be Louisiana Monroe anymore, but uh, Louisiana versus no, Ab- Ab- no Lu- the Lafayette, it's Louisiana oh, Lafayette, the Raging Lafayette? Cajuns. Yeah. Okay, my bad. Yeah, Louisiana Lafayette uh, versus App State. Um, App State's good. I, I, I just you know App State is really good. <coughs> yeah, I think they're they're gonna walk to this one. And obviously, when you look it's at a, that, it's a home game too. And when you look at that, and when you see them beat Louisiana in this game, and then they're ten and two, uh, remember that they should be eleven and one with a win over Penn State. And all the guy had to do was fall down to the ground, <laughs> and they would be eleven and one with a win over Penn State. So yes, they're a very good football team. Uh, Conference USA Championship, uh, UAB against Middle Tennessee. I mean. Just the story behind UAB and the way their, their program was yeah, gone. And now right. they're back and they're, you know, 9-3 and, and, and playing for the uh, for the Conference USA ch- title game. Northwestern is a great story this year, but UAB is the story That's of college true. football. That is pretty their, awesome. Their football team didn't exist four years ago. Yeah, that is it great. It had been shut down because their, like everything was crumbling and falling apart and, and covered in uh algae and bacteria that's right they're MRSA at, right didn't they have a massive yeah. MRSA yeah it was their horrible it was their best, horrible the way those student athletes were their were, best player was yeah their best player was playing for Indiana the next year um and, and now the Bears Jordan Howard right yeah. Jordan Howard and they're uh right and now they're back it's crazy good for them I mean it's it is it's it's awesome and hopefully they can put a cap on it uh no other title games but there's a bunch of uh makeup games from uh, those big storms back in week two, um, 
you know, don't really need to, to run through you, all of you, those. Did you talk about Clemson Pitt? Uh, no, I didn't. But we certainly can <laughs> if you want to. Hey, uh, I guess oh. it's, it's another one of these ones where Pitt, who's 7-5 and five and was Pitt – has, Pitt has had some rough games this season. Uh, they were pasted by a couple of teams. They lost to um, North Carolina, who I think was the worst team in their division. Fired and their coach, and fu- now Mac Brown's the head coach at North Carolina. Right, uh, and now they're – and, yeah. I mean, odds are Clemson is a 27.5-point favorite in a conference title game. <laughs> but, um, but, hey, I mean, Pitt, talk about shock of all shocks if they suddenly pulled this one out. Forecast. Do you remember? Do you remember the last game of the year that Pitt played in 2017? The second to last year, second to last game of the year, right? So, last game of the year was was oh no in 2017, yeah 2017, mm-hmm. 2017. They finished that season that that year with seven losses, so they did not play in a bowl game. Right. But oh. their last game of the year was a home game against number two Miami, in which they were 12 point underdogs, and they beat number two Miami by 10. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the year after because we can also go back to 2016. I was going to say they beat yes. Clemson. Yeah, number two Clemson, who was a uh, wait for it 22 point favorite on the road at Clemson. I mean, like, like it is absurd to think that Pitt could win this game, but this is the thing that Pitt has been doing for years, <laughs> right? Ran- um, randomly showing up, right. Six and six and five with one totally inexplicable win, right? So yeah, Pitt's either Pitt's either going to be seven and six, or they're like this is a team that either with a bowl game could finish the season five hundred or could win the ACC, which is pretty amusing. But yeah, Clemson, with all all things being equal, Clemson's probably going to win by thirty. Well, I mean, Pitt, Pitt's best win this year was a nineteen fourteen loss to Notre Dame. Right, I was about to say their best game was the Notre Dame game for sure. <laughs> they, hey. Well, they they beat they beat Virginia by ten on the road. Yay! <laughs> I mean, you know, I but like they, until, they, beat, they beat Syracuse pretty handily, and yep. that's and, their best win. Syracuse is and, awesome, and they beat Duke, but that it, ugh, that doesn't look like so great. Well, let, put fifty. Let, let's not talk well, about Duke. Let's move they on. They put up fifty-two on Virginia Tech, like, Virginia like but this. But this same thing last year. They hadn't done anything last year before that that final game. It just like like it's crazy. Like I know people have joked about secretly decent Pitt uh, amongst the the solid verbal uh, listenership, but I think it's more like uh, you know Jekyll and Hyde Pitt. Like it's it's yeah. It's- I mean, totally uh, inexplicable results. This guys, if you want to die on the hill that is Pitt winning the ACC, <laughs> you are welcome to do so, and I'm gonna, I'll, I'll let you be there. I don't. I'm. I, that is not the hill I want to die on. Uh, I just think that there's, there's, um, and it, I'm saying there's a chance. <laughs> so you're telling me there's a chance. I'll say this: I don't see a close Pitt loss here. I see a miracle pit win, or they lose by like forty. I think those are your two options. Yes, one hundred percent. So before we go, we did mention um, early on as the uh, Big Ten awards are being released uh, as we record tonight on Tuesday. The defense and special teams were announced, as well as uh, as we talked about. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald was named Big Ten Coach of the Year by both the coaches and the media. Um, we don't have the offensive selections out yet, um, honestly. If it's not Isaiah Bowser, 
in there, I, I don't see too much else that maybe off it somewhere on the offensive line, but we'll find out for sure tomorrow. But, uh, as far as the defense goes, um, you know, as far as the coaches, we have Patty Fisher, his first team, all big 10 linebacker. Um, you've got Joe Gaziano as second team and, uh, Matre Hardage as third team. Uh, and that's by the coaches. As far as the media goes, you've got Hardage. As first team, you've got uh, second team, Patty Fisher, and third team, Gaz and Blake Gallagher, uh, it, um, as selected by the media. Um, honorable mention, you've got uh, by the coaches, Gallagher, J.R. Pace, and Nate Hall. And by the media, you've got Nate Hall and J.R. Pace. So the s- same guys, uh, just sort of in, in different places. But, uh, you know, congrats to... Um, to Patty Fisher, you know, first team, second team, um, Montre Hardage, first team, third team, Gaz, second team, third team. So, I mean, our, our defense was definitely noted. For sure. One, the way that I love, I think the thing that I love about it is that the main three guys are each kind of carrying the banner for a position group, which is really cool. Um, Gaz, of course, deserves to be there for his individual effort, but also as the standard bearer for, as we talked about the last couple of weeks, really a unit of eight guys that are just performing at a really high level that is just buttering the bread of this defense. Um, And then Montre, as we've talked to, it's kind of like an opposite situation where it's really cool that he's made it, but he's kind of emblematic of when he was there, he was really the bell cow of the secondary. And when he wasn't, you had these guys banding together and almost a little like Ewing theory action. Um, and really just, just guys who hadn't got a lot of reps getting it done in his stead. So that's kind of really cool too. Um, and of course, Patty just continues to bring it. I would add on the offensive side, Flynn Nagel, I bet has a really good chance to get all big 10 recognition. His numbers are great. 64 catches. Um, uh, and you know, 746 yards, on the strength of that, and and Skoranek has had enough highlight plays this year, including that one massive one, that he may find his way onto someone's ballot as well. Um, but but yeah, for the defensive guys, that's that's just awesome. I love the way it shook out. I also wonder about Rashawn Slater, and then uh, yeah, isn't there like a newcomer of the year award for Bowser? Crazy, yeah. crazy thing. It feels like Bowser's barely played from a game's perspective and he has barely played from a game's perspective he has 736 yards like one more illinois game had he been allowed to play the whole game and the guy could have a thousand yards which is crazy um and makes you feel pretty good about the future although as they say that i think about uh adrian martinez and he's probably more likely to get that um Especially as a QB that played in all the games, but I, I, you mean, anyways, you I, mean Nebraska's team, Adrian Martinez? Yeah, I would, I would guess, yeah, I would guess yeah. that you're probably right. Yeah, um, but I mean, like, still, though, this is this is this is great, um, great honor for these guys, and, and well deserved. I, I, I does feel like Nate Hall got a little bit. Uh, yeah, that's a true. little bit short trip there, but he he did miss a couple games with injury, so I don't know. True. Hey, we know Hall, Mister Chip on his shoulder. Come on. Yeah, about no, that uh, Illinois yeah, game. Let, let that I want a mad man. Nate Hall coming into this one. Yeah. Oh, anything else to mention before we get out of here? Um, you know, basketball went out on their West Coast trip. I think I guess they took fifth in that wah, tournament. Wah. Yeah. Um, 
you know, we'll, we got the Big Ten ACC Challenge tomorrow with uh, Georgia Tech coming calling to the new Welsh Ryan Arena. So we'll uh, keep an eye out on that. Um, other than that, let's uh, go out and uh, beat some Buckeyes, eh? Amen. Damn straight. We're going to be fired up. Like I said, guys, find Scuzz and I. We won't be hard to. We won't be hard to see. We won't be hard to hear. We're we're going to be out there bringing it in section two hundred eight. I hope I don't have to talk on Sunday because I ain't going to have a voice. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, good thing for you. We're recording emergency pod immediately following the show. <laughs> actually, I mean, hey, hey, if it, if 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 uh, if you guys are all up to here it, in the situation, knock wood that Scuzz and I are just giving a delirious cell phone audio end of our podcast that just consists of us just going woo, then then uh, then we're all for it. <laughs> Well, we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Uh, find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at Pirates. You can call our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the West Slot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. John Lacombe and Eric Scasboy, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.